Aloha Maui. Hello, this is Josh Porter. Jason Burkhart. And Brian Thomas. There we go. We got everybody in here. Uh, it's going to be a good show with the Solar Coaster today. This is episode 164. We got a fella. His name is Dan Fletcher calling in from Toronto with a company, and I hope I pronounced this correctly, Asiaco. Uh, and that is uh, this product, DC Bell, which is something that is pretty radical. Jay, what do you want to say about this thing on the outset? Uh, you, you you saw these guys um, last, I want to say last year almost, right? Um, wherever or early in this year. Um, they, it's basically a really cool all-in-one bi-directional EV charger, inverter, um, way, way to support your house through having these EV storage batteries, um, which, I mean, usually the EV battery is many, many times the size of what you'd buy for home storage and basically eliminates the need that for you to even buy the thing at all. Uh, it, it, it's a really, really fascinating product. It's not on the market quite yet, but we're going to find out all about it. And uh, hopefully, cross fingers, it'll be something that people are interested in. Yeah, this is something that's pretty special. Imagine taking a huge kind of bird's nest of equipment on the side of your house for your inverters and for your batteries and for your EV charging and all the different solutions and replacing it by one elegant solution. And that is kind of the value proposition, and I'm really excited to check that out. We also got a call in from Long Road Energy, the Pulehu Solar Project, 40 megawatts. Get that news and events from Ren Westcote, I believe is how you pronounce his name. We are briefly about uh, one of the many, one of the 16 new and 29 total uh, uh, utility scale projects that are going into Hawaii. So we got a couple of cool things going on. You guys ready to get going? Let's do More it. More than a couple. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here we go. Hello, folks. This is the Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy theme talk show right here in lovely Maui County. It can be found Fridays at 1.05 p.m. on Kaoi 11.10 a.m. Also some FM stations, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry www.solar-coaster.com is where you can get your daily dose of sunshine. Uh, listen live if you're outside our broadcast area. You can also go back and stream any one of our old shows. So if you're interested in a particular area of solar and renewable energy technology, chances are we've talked about it by now. Get on the get on the website, solar-coaster.com, and check that out. You can also get on our mailing list. And, of course, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, iTunes. Tune in, iHeart, and all the other podcast networks carry the Solar Coaster. Just uh, look for our little orange and blue waveform logo. There you go. Uh, big thanks to Maui Office of Economic Development, the Kamaiana First Program, Fairwinds Wealth Management. Here with Brian Thomas on the phone. Uh, we're going to get a chance to talk with him about how, how he sees the markets operating in this news and events section. And then Enduro Shield and Perfectly Clear Glass, doing some really cool stuff with coating uh, of panels and also glass uh, here in Maui County and throughout the world. We've got Sundrum Solar. Uh, finishing up some huge, interesting heat exchanging projects. And then, of course, SolarEdge is now uh, doing testing materials with us, testing equipment with us, and learning kind of similar in some respects to this uh, DC Bell technology. So really working as a uh, the, the energy hub, Jason, is, is, a, is a comparable kind of product from what I can see. And we'll talk to Dan about that and see uh, what he thinks. But uh, let's jump over to news and events. Always, always. Okay, well, uh, politics. We try not to get political on the show, but um, energy is becoming one of the hotbed uh, divisive issues. And the Biden-Sanders task force has issued a call for uh, a lot of renewable energy kind of targeted reform. Um, the, of course, this PV Magazine USA article uh, specifically cites uh, installing 500 million Ooh, solar modules in so the next many. five years. <laughs> that's that it. Sounds it's it sounds like a lot. Um, we I, I tried to do the math, and I actually think I did it wrong before we started this show. Um, oh. But I, let's let's do this really quick. If we, if we assume, and I'm going to be pretty generous here, that a module is 400 watts, right? Yeah. Um, 500 million of those. Do it with you. Uh, five million, five five hundred million. Uh, yep, and then divided by. Do, 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 do. There we go. So we've got two. That's still a lot of megawatts. <laughs> I want to say, yeah, two, it's, it's it's a lot, but I mean, it's two it's two hundred gig. Is that that's correct? Yeah, yeah. two to the eleventh so power. Two, 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 yeah, two to the eleventh power. That's too much for your average phone <laughs> calculator. But two hundred gigawatt. Um, gigawatt so the um it's it's it sounds like a lot 500 million modules um over five years but we we installed more than and i'm citing another pv uh magazine article that re released a report that we installed um nearly two gigawatt of utility scale solar 
in quarter one of 2020. Now, this is while, while, the, while the whole the whole shutdown is going on. We still installed two gigawatts. Yeah, and, and to, to put that into greater, even more perspective, right, at 200 uh, gigawatts, 200, uh, uh, yeah, th- th- that's about twice the deployed amount of solar uh, per year. That's what we're at about 104, yeah, per, right? Per, per, for, for the per Earth, so two, for the two Earth. times. Yeah. So just to get right. a little numerically geeky here, folks. And uh, so over the next five years, great. So you're talking about um, something like I don't know, 40 gigs extra per year, something in that territory. So yeah, it's, we would assume 2021 to 2026. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, you know it's a, it's a slight bump, but when we th- when we look when we when we were looking at other disasters, not COVID 19, but we were looking at the climate crisis and what uh, and that. Uh, report we had from the uh, International uh, uh, the Prevention of Climate Concerned Change. Concerned scientists. Yeah, that one, the, yeah. the acronym. Uh, they were saying we had about a decade, right, uh, to clean this up. Yep. And we needed a multiple of that 104 gigs annually deployed. So it's like this is, a, you know, it's a, it just basically is a big, exciting number in this in this article, but not necessarily that 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 big of a difference as what I, my reading. I, I, yeah, I, I, my, yeah my, my understanding of this is really that it, it's not going to move the needle in any significant way. That, that number is very achievable. And it sounds great, 500 million modules. But I think they use the, the module number specifically just to make it sound like a lot. Of course they do. If it, if it bleeds, it leads. Or if it, you know, it's just, this is a PD yeah, Magazine yeah, article too, right, from July 10th. It's, it's, a, it's a spin in the, in the worst form. There are a couple really interesting things, though. This, in the middle of the article, there's, a, there's bullet points. They went through the entire the entire document and bullet pointed some of the stuff. And the last one is the one that caught my eye. It says adopt scaled up tax credits for renewable energy projects that meet certain labor standards. Now, tax credits for renewable energy products at projects at all is a good thing because we're losing our, our regular ITC with the current administration. There's there's little the to no chance of it credit. actually being extended. Um, that is that is the tax credit that you get when you install um, solar and it has been scaling down. It will continue to scale down. Um, through 2022 um, to zero. So we're not going to be able to to really claim those types of tax credits. But it's also this, this it's tied to labor standards, which I think is really interesting. But there's no details on what those labor standards are. And of course, we started a big conversation about, well, what, is the, what does it really mean? Are we we're talking um, local, you, leveraging local talent, um, adding education? Because they're probably we, talking on a national really, scale about certain quality or caliber of living wage jobs. That's probably the nature yeah. of the way that, you know, that's what their concerns are on a national stage. And then, of course, that's that's what tends to happen with these types of projects. You get living wage jobs. You get good quality jobs. Yep. Yeah, well, which is exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, those, yeah I was going to say, those jobs are already pretty much living wage jobs because they require a certain skill set. I mean, an electrician, by definition, has a living wage job, you know. So I I took it as that they're going to be union jobs, essentially. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. The government, governmental support of unionization. Okay, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that one. But I do. Biden. I would like. I would like to see real um, qualif- qualifications applied to these. So you're not. You're not. You don't end up with like migratory solar workers <laughs> running around. Hey, let's um, ju- let's jump over to the Sunrun one. We got a couple of minutes on that, and then I know we got our caller online right here. So what's going on with Sunrun and Vivint? Okay. Jay, are you still there, right. buddy? Oh, okay. Um, no, it's fine. So Seeking Alpha is an investment website, and they're specifically talking about um, the announcement from Sunrun to acquire Vivint Solar. Now, these are the two largest players, Sunrun being the largest and Vivint being the second largest national installer. So we're talking about companies that uh, do residential installs across the entire or at least a significant portion of the United States. And they're looking at... at acquiring Vivint, uh, or more likely a merger. Um, But the interesting thing about this is that their business model is really tied to And with that scaling down, it's just, it, the whole article is, is it is this a, a good idea, a bad idea, or is it just going to clear the field for a whole lot of little mom and pop shops because they're going to go right. under no matter what they try to do? Right. And you just cut out for a moment there. So I'll just clarify for the listeners. Is this business model tied to the existence of tax credits that are already on the downward slide? And uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. But they did they did show some um, some of the metrics here, the numbers. Uh, Sunrun has about 298,000 customers nationally. Vivint has about 190. 
97,000 customers nationally. These guys have always been in the top like five, uh, you know, uh, uh, volume you know, across the country. Always jockeying position, but they're they're big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they have this merger together. Of course, now they can compete at a lower price point and reduce maybe the cost of client acquisition. They, they. I remember reading another article that was. This is actually Seeking Alpha saying, "Hey, this isn't a good good idea." And that's a investment uh, discussion. But I remember reading another article talking about how Vivint Solar had a pretty effective door uh, knocking mechanism, more so than Sunrun, which I thought was an interesting play at, at this moment. Is door knocking still? A, 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 they are fantastic at that, Vivint. That's what they do. That's why they they, they became a player. But uh, is the how relevant is that right now? When someone knocks on your door in the in the age of COVID, do you answer it? I I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get a, a door to door salesman in my uh, living room these days. So yeah, it's really uh, interesting to see these big moves. Uh, you know, uh, we'll have to take a, the big big question becomes: Does uh, the national do the national chains have the ability to compete with the local mom and pops uh, as the tax credits slide and as ownership models become more and more kind of the preferred method? So that is that. Check that out, folks. Sunrun uh, and Vivint joining forces. Let's jump over to our uh, caller from Puleu Solar. We have Ren on the line. Ren, can you hear us? Okay. I can. Can you hear me okay? Can hear you great. Thanks so much for calling in. Really excited to hear about uh, what's going on with Long Road Energy and your project, uh, Pulehu Solar. Uh, what's 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 the story here, Ren? Can you give us an overview? Sure. Well, uh, Pulehu Solar is one of the projects. HECO, um, they put out a request for proposals to, to acquire new solar projects to meet Maui's energy needs. Uh, specifically, in a couple of years, they need to close down the Kahului generating station. So one of their near-term goals is to replace that generation with uh, renewable energy. So this latest RFP, and, and people on Maui are probably confused about, they, you know, I don't blame anyone for wondering which project is which. I mean, there's so many solar projects being they talked are, about. Yeah. In the latest round, uh, three projects were approved uh, by HECO to start development, uh, including Pulehu Solar and then two others. Um, and, and Pulehu is a 40-megawatt AC solar project in, uh, what, what, in, in Pulehu, which is, is commonly areas uh, you know, commonly called Lower Kula, uh, just uh, below on Pulehu Road, mm -hmm. uh, just below the Kula Ag Park, uh, but on the Makai side of the road, so sort of a, a, the south of the road. Um, and it will be a 40-megawatt project on land currently owned by Haleakala Ranch. Right, and I'm looking at the maps now. If you'd like to learn more about this, folks, longroadenergy.com slash Pulehu, P-U-L-E-H-U. And it's pretty, you know, there's some great information there. You can see the different, uh, it looks like there's about two or three uh, primary array locations, 40 megawatts AC. What do you expect that to be in D.C.? And, and for, this, for, the, for our listeners, can you give them a sense of how many modules that is? Total module count, we're not sure because we're still, uh, once you select the module, then you do a lot of math to yeah. figure out how it's going to be arrayed. So I, I can't give a total number, um, at, at least authoritatively. I got sure. smarter people than me that will come up with that number. <laughs> but it'll be um, uh, it, several array blocks that will be located uh, south of Pulehu Road. And currently that land is sort of unproductive ag land. It's used for occasional grazing, not much rain in that area. Um, also, right near a transmission line, a uh, fairly new 69 kV transmission line runs up Pulehu Road. So right. it's going to uh, be able to install it without additional uh, transmission lines. And it would be a, it's a, um, uh, a great place for, in terms of D.C., you asked. Uh, D.C., we're probably looking at something like 55 to 60 megawatts D.C. Probably, sorry, right. probably more in the 55 range. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So 55 million watts DC. That is a uh, substantial uh, array, probably in the 130, 40, 50,000 module territory by my quick math. I don't know if that's accurate, uh, but it looks like there's going to be, um, yeah, and you can see it on the map. It's it's actually substantially substantial size, right, relative to the surrounding area. So that's really exciting. One of three major projects. What is going on? You have a um, you have a an up, upcoming public event, right? Correct. We have, like many of the other projects, uh, we are holding a, a virtual open house. Uh, people can go to the web page to sign up. We're going to be answering questions. This is Monday at on the 13th uh, from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. We're hosting a large format Zoom call where people can nice. uh, sign up, 
and then you'll register for the Zoom meeting, and you can um, listen online. It's also going to be televised live on Akaku, and uh, they'll also have the recording. People can uh, ask questions, make comments. Uh, should be a pretty good chance. We're, we're very interested in hearing from the Maui community. Uh, Long Road Energy, who's a developer, um, a new name, but but formerly very familiar name of First Wind. Most of the team at Long Road is formerly the same folks that uh, were with First Wind that developed the Kahiava Wind Farm, Maui's first wind farm, and then uh, two two wind farms on Oahu and a few solar farms. So we've been in Maui since 2005 in one form or another, and we're really excited about this new project. Excellent. Well, we're going to get a chance to dig in, hopefully, a little bit more and learn more about the specifics of this, not only at the public meeting, but also, we'll, like we said, we'll do a long, uh, longer conversation uh, in the upcoming week and really uh, kind of better understand the details of this. But this is substantial. This is part of the three new projects that have been approved uh, at, at this most recent RFP Phase 2. And that'll take us to, you know, just spoke with Jim Kelly over at Hawaiian Electric, and we were talking about moving up substantially in our, in our percentages of renewable energy from these last three, these new three projects. So very exciting. Good to get to know you. I'm glad you're on the Solar Coaster, Ren. Let's um, let's look forward to uh, that that, uh, that that public event, and then we'll get you on the on, on on the show again shortly. So I really appreciate you calling in and giving us the heads up. Sounds great. Aloha. Aloha. All right, there you go, Ren Westcoat uh, from Long Road Energy. Uh, one of so I guess it's Interjects is the is the 40 megawatt over in West Maui, and this is a 40 megawatt in kind of the upcountry area. And there's a third, and I actually don't have a read on what that one is, fellas. You still there? Yeah, this is this is, this is <clears throat> borderline central. <laughs> borderline central, yeah. But that map, you can see yeah. it. It's it's, it's it, that map says it all about the size of it, right? Because you can take there's yeah. a pretty sizable uh, system. So Maui's about to change uh, for the better, in my view, for sure. But we'll get a chance to listen to that uh, that public event uh, upcoming, and then uh, do check it out longroadenergy.com. Yeah, I do, and I, I, yeah, I issue. Yeah, I urge people to get involved, talk about this stuff. Um, the, the things that happen, people complain a lot. If uh, well, they put in this thing and they never con- consulted us. Well, I mean, the companies are having these open houses. They are trying to consult. They are trying to engage with the community, um, and they want to do what's right for the most part. I mean, these are renewable energy companies for the, <laughs> for the most part. I, I think they they try to they try to sleep well at night, and they want to do right by you. So get involved. Tell them how you feel. I mean, obviously nobody wants their whole backyard to be taken up with solar panels but at the same time you do want to be able to turn on your your ac and your tv and everything else so where's this energy going to come from we need to have the conversation yeah and it it makes it easier too right go ahead sorry brian well i was gonna say and not bring in fuel from the mainland via ship fossil fuels yeah yeah (laughs) gotta keep that in mind that's what this is about that's what this is about the big picture yeah yeah josh i was i was gonna say you know i'd be curious to see um the language of the PPA, remember how they they penalized uh, for throttling back energy? I'd be curious to see the oh. language and how they and they, how they're going to balance that out, you know? You mean the um, the first two utility scale projects that went in, they, they did some accounting, they, they curtailed and then they build they build the, the, the utility. Right. Or they, the, the, yeah. well, they need the customer base, actually, at the end of the day. Well, they built the, they built the and customers. And so we're not talking about words. we're not talking about long road energy here. We're talking about uh, the, these other two. Uh, I think they were about four megawatt DC, 2.87 megawatt AC, large solar farms out uh, that have been produced, uh, put together over the last few years. So, yeah, there's a precedent for that. Yeah. Like, are, is are, is the contractual language changing? Is there any movement based on what they we experienced with that? Other, those other solar farms? It's a good question. We'll bring that into the long form show uh, when we do it this week, Brian. Brian, let's let's chat briefly about what's going on in the markets. I know Jason had some uh, points that he wanted to bring up to you, and then you had some ideas about what was happening. What's going on with the economy? Where is it at right now? I mean, what are you seeing? Well, uh, it's a very, very interesting time, historical time. We see the economy, Main Street, uh, second wave is picking up, you know, that's apparent. And end of July, the $600 is is being eroded and unemployment is going to taper down. So, people are going to get hit a little bit. And so the market, though, is a recipient of new fund flows. And I think it's uh, the the bifurcated between the bifurcation between the market and and Main Street is is very interesting because money is coming in. And as the market moves higher, it's actually pulling in more money. So it's sort of a reflexive trade. Um, and And you can argue with it. You can say fundamentally this and that, but it is moving higher. And and 
it's the Fed pumping money into the economy, which is making it into the market. It's coming in from other places too. Uh, very in interesting time. Jay, you had uh, you had some uh, ideas. Um, no, I was I was curious about whether I mean, are we on on the downward slide now that we're going to get a lot more information? We've got real hard numbers from quarter one, quarter two, from from a lot of the certainly the renewable energy companies are putting out a lot of a lot of numbers. And although it looks like they did well, it's not. I mean, it's it's under the circumstances. Well, it's not. We're just doing well. Um, so I was wondering if we were going to be on the downward slide from here on through the rest of the year, or if, is there's any kind of, of other rebound? So are you talking about the fundamental earnings of these companies? Uh, yeah, basically, yeah, gross gross revenue. Yeah, and it's incredibly difficult to figure out. And and that's why that, that approach of the fundamental trying to measure earnings, I feel bad for those analysts trying to come in, log into their spreadsheets and put in numbers, because it's, it's very difficult to get it in normal times, let alone now, you know? And, and uh, I'd rather use uh, an approach that says, we want to own things that are moving up and be on the right side of the trend. And if you keep it simple like that and deploy a risk management process and just define your risks beforehand, uh, I think that's a much simpler and more relevant and timely way of doing it. So I don't know if I answered your question, but other than the fact that it's very difficult to measure earnings in normal times, and it's extremely difficult now. And this, it'll be a function of liquidity versus solvency for some of these businesses. Uh, they were able to get PP, PPP loans and EIDL loans, and that'll tie them over for some time. But the Fed is also buying uh, corporate treasury bonds. It's a, it's, it's a bizarre thing when the Fed is out there purchasing bonds and rewarding companies, whether or not they're good stewards of assets or not. And so that's kind of an artificial uh, hand in the market that wasn't there before. But it gives a it gives an impression that that big daddy, the Fed is going to support you. So that incurs more risk and people mm -hmm. take on more risk. Well, I don't I don't know I that can, I, I can add too much to that. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I think what people are really wondering, uh, Brian, is what's going to happen on Main Street. Right. So the markets. Yeah, they got their own trajectory. And of course, you know, we're able to, from the perspective of guys that are in this um, conversation of energy, uh, look at companies like Enphase and Solar Edge and see that they've been doing very well, uh, at least in you know the overall trend. I mean, from especially from the trough that we hit a couple months back. But I mean, what's how what, you know what what can it, do? You have any sense of how, is it complete? Is it could you could it just be completely separate from the way Main Street looks for a long time? Or do these things sync up at one point? Does uh, yeah? Because I, I think that's the big question. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that is the question. Will they, will they sync up down the road? Will the fundamentals and the market start to move towards each other and reflect reality? And nobody knows that. We, there's so many unknown variables out there. We, we don't know if, this, if the virus that's, that's in the sunny areas is a different strain because it's affecting younger people and it's not having the severity that the other virus did or the potentially other strain. And so uh, we don't know the degree of transmission. Remember, it was supposed to not happen in sunny areas and warm areas. And that where that's where the outbreaks are taking place now at a huge growth rate. But it's affecting a younger demographic. So um, it, it's a yeah, it's a very unique time. And, and it's coming in so fast. And, you know, you've got the Trump people that want to see the market rise. But the counterbalance to that is if the market rises too high, the the difference between the people that own assets uh, will will be will benefit from the Fed and from their actions, but then Main Street won't benefit. So if that gap becomes too large, the society uh, will reflect that, and and it's not a comfortable thing to uh, to really ponder. But um, no one knows at this point. All right. Well, we're asking our, our, our local, our, our personal oracle here, Brian Thomas, about what's going to happen in the future. It's a tough question. So let's jump over to our <laughs> commercial break. We'll come back, uh, hopefully, with Dan, Dan Fletcher of Osiaco and the D.C. Bell product. Kamaaina First is an exciting new program supported by the County of Maui Office of Economic Development to bring our local community together during this difficult time for businesses. To see all of the Maui County special offers, visit kamaainafirst.com. Or if you're a local business owner, then share your great offer for free. Visit kamaainafirst.com for a participant registration form. And join the Kamaaina First Facebook group to stay connected. 
Kama'aina first. Locals supporting locals. Enduro Shield glass protection is the cost-effective way to help protect your PV investment, reduce cleaning needs, and help maximize power production. Enduro Shield prevents etching, helps reduce soiling and debris buildup. At only two molecules thick, EnduroShield is optically clear, UV transparent. A one-time application provides up to 10 years of durability. To learn more about the coating, visit EnduroShield.com solar. You can request factory application or on-site by certified technicians like the team at Perfectly Clear. In Hawaii and for on-site applications in Western U.S., visit PerfectlyClear.glass or call Gary at 808-280-9422. That's 808-280-9422. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system combined photovoltaic and thermal holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. All right, those were our wonderful sponsors. Uh, thanks so much to all you great companies for keeping the solar coaster on the tracks for 164 episodes. That's quite a bit, fellas. Uh, I do want to point out that uh, Osiaco, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's a, it's a super cool technology, and you can check it out online on the web, ossiaco.com. Looks like we may have some uh, trouble getting the call in today from Dan. Uh, that being said, you can take a look, uh, preview it. We will bring them on the show later. This is a super interesting technology that basically replaces a, this whole series of tech that we're utilizing these days and allows bi-directional charging with EVs. So osiaco.com, check it out for a future show. For in, in its place, we'll run an interview with Doug McLeod, the chair of the Hawaii Energy Conference, talking about how this upcoming streaming event that's free for everyone around the world uh, and also his plans for the, uh, the future of the event. How have you been and what's going on in the world of Doug McLeod? Uh, well, like everyone, you know, it has been a crazy time and uh, the energy side is one part of that, but, you know, just, just everything has been, uh, you know, astonishing. And that's, that's kind of why we had to do a totally different conference. You know, the world has changed so much in 90 days that, you know, we couldn't find a way to just do a variation on what we've been doing before. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, I was following the Hawaii Energy Conference really closely, and, of course, there's a, a, a slew of conferences all around the world that are trying to figure out how to manage this time frame, and a lot of interesting ideas are coming out. You know, and I'll tell you what, Doug, one of the things that surprised me about some of the trade shows that I've been a part of that are virtual now or hybrid is that there sometimes there's some opportunities within that platform that you didn't have in the real world. You know, that was really what really kind of blew my mind. So I'm glad to hear that you're exploring some ideas for Hawaii Energy Conference. You know, I think we have an answer of what things are going to look like for this year. And so for this year, we're not trying to recreate a two-day live event. And I, I know you've been working with avatars and some of the options. Give people a taste of, you know, what the Hawaii Energy Conference is, uh, but without having to try to make that commitment to fly across the Pacific or spend, you know, the, the type of money normally costs to attend. I see. So that's interesting. I, and I think that there's a lot of people around the world. I know that there's a lot of people around the world in the energy industry, in the renewable energy industry, that, of course, love the notion of coming to Maui to be <laughs> a trade show. So that's, you know, if I mention that to anyone, of course we do, Doug, I don't know if you know that. Well, as we're traveling around the world over the last couple of years, we say, hey, by the way, Maui's got a great energy conference. You should come. And uh, they love it. Wow. Yes, that's fantastic. But of course, it's, it's a heck of a jaunt from, you know, from France, I mean, or from, you know, anywhere, really. So I'm sure that you could get a lot of interest in kind of the content that, that, that gets birthed out here in all different places around the world. Now, I know that you're talking about covering, I think, is it equity in, in energy? Is that the kind of content that you're focusing in on? You know, what we're calling this one is we're calling this a conference about just recovery. And, and try and figure out what that means. You know, we, we originally, with a live event, were kind of headed in the right path in the sense we were looking at equity and electrification. But, you know, the world, again, has changed so much that we needed to do more. And so this time we're really being specific and saying, you know, 
since March, how have things changed? And we're going to start off with commissioners from the Hawaii PUC, the California PUC, the Oregon PUC, and the Alberta Commission. The reason we're doing this is we're saying, you know, sometimes people forget what the public part of public utility was all about. And if you know the history in this area, you know, the point was always that there was supposed to be a discussion of what the public interest was generally. And for us, we got so focused on climate, not that it's not incredibly important in the long run, but we, we didn't try to take on quite as many of the, you know, true public social issues in the past. But if you go back in history to the 1920s and 30s, you'll see that that was actually a time when uh, a lot of these laws were developed and people were very focused then on trying to say who deserves the right to sell electricity? You know, what are they providing? The public service has to be more than just keeping the lights on. And that was a conversation a long time ago. And so we're, we're hoping to kind of go back in that direction a bit. What an interesting while talking to you, Doug. You always bring it back <laughs> you know, big grand concept about the history of energy and where we're going as a society. It's really kind of, that's your wheelhouse. Uh, yeah, and then of course right now you're in this, we're on this time of upheaval and societal upheaval. And, you know, we think in terms of energy, we think in terms of the potential of renewable energy. Uh, and there's a lot of power in there to kind of, um, to solve some of these problems potentially, right? So I'm hearing out there this language of, the, because of the nature of the renewable energy sector and the higher paying jobs and the, uh, the, the savings towards communities and all these kind of big pillar conversations, that it could be a foundational component to re rebooting our economy, whether that's on a local or a national or a global scale. Are, are you seeing ideas like that? Are you looking at that kind of thing, where we're headed in the future and, and how the renewable energy industry could kind of level, you know, reset us? I think we are for one, you know, we're only going to have a limited number of panels, but we do have Will Giese, who I, I'm sure you know is the head of the Hawaii Solar Energy Association. And he's going to have a, a discussion that's asking, I, I think, a similar question, but specific to solar. So can solar create the type of jobs that help with any of these broader issues in society? Like, like you said, you know, here in Hawaii, we do have a track record, I think, in the last recession of really using solar to provide some living wage jobs. Yeah. And so there, there may be some things here. I, I think it really is going to be a different answer in different states. You know, how big is construction as a sector generally? How big is renewable energy? But, but here, if the timing of the utility scale RFPs goes through as planned, plus, you know, our, our state tax credit stays the way it is, um, you know, this, this may not be a bad time to to look at creating some more solar jobs that, that can help with these things. Yeah, that's exciting. It's exciting. You know, we had um, Eddie Park and Julia uh, Mancinelli on a couple weeks ago regarding RFP phase two awards. And I think they're uh, at about four projects right now uh, across the three islands. And, um, you know, we specifically positioned that question saying, hey, you know, what type of opportunities are there for people, especially at this time when things are so uh, depressed? I mean, you know, Maui, I think we have the highest unemployment rate in Hawaii at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. Could this be a spur? Are, are there, are there, are there long-term job opportunities or the short-term boom, uh, you know, opportunities for growing these projects? I mean, we're talking about something like a three-year window schedule. Do you see that as being, A, do you see that as being likely? And I know you don't want to put you on the spot there. Yeah. B, do you think that th that could have an impact in, in a small community like Maui where we have a couple of these big projects going in? Um, yeah, how does that, and how does it relate to the rest of it? How does it relate to, that's a lot, resi and commercial too. I think that when you think about these utility scale projects, okay, they're pretty much always ground mount. And they are great at providing local construction trade jobs, including say journeyman electricians, people like that. But, you know, it, it really kind of varies. I think that, that they're not necessarily people that always work in solar. And when you compare it to the last recession, where we were dealing with very high unemployment in the construction sector, you know, we're in this strange position here, at least in Hawaii, where construction has continued. It has much lower unemployment than the, than the solar industry. 
So this could play out a little differently this time just because of, you know, where's the available labor. The, the other piece to talk about is really where are the crews coming from? And frankly, I think we've, we've both seen this play out different ways. I have seen people bring in crews from California. Uh, I have seen people hire on island. And I, I think that, you know, it's something that we as a state, you know, if this is important, we need to start thinking, you know, in terms of this is either a, a you know, a factor in the scoring or it's, you know, a benefit or a plus in some way. I mean, right, right now, when, when they do these proposals, it's important that they show they have the technical capacity to build, but there really isn't inherently the same, you know, within state preference for labor um, that, that you see sometimes in, in traditional government contracting. Yeah, this is something that's come up over the years, you know, as a, as a participant of different uh, bids and RFPs, yeah. you know, one of the things that we, we were all local electricians, local guys putting together bids right. for some of the larger projects. And, you know, and, and it was, we saw companies being awarded the contracts from out of state and then, and then through the, the build, the, the, the overall arc and timeline of the project, we saw external crews coming in. And, and one thing that, I, that always stuck with me is that, you know, the electricians, the, the master electricians, the journeyman electricians, they would point out to me how these crews weren't necessarily adhering to the local rules and regulations. And that was always a, a conversation point. So outside of just the, you know, well, we should try to keep that money inside of our community. There's also the, how are they doing it less expensive? Well, they're doing it less expensive because in some cases, they're just simply not adhering to all the, the, the rules and regs that are in place in our community. So that's something that I, I, I definitely thought, geez, it should be a, a piece of the RFP process or some type of, type of preferential uh, treatment for local companies. And I, I, don't, I don't know offhand what the, what the negative side of that might be. I'm sure there is, but it, it definitely is something I've seen over the years that's a, been a major concern for me because there's always companies from another environment that can come in and do it cheaper for a whole set of other reasons that we, you know, that are not necessarily healthy for our community. Well, again, this is what it comes down to, you know, is, is the fact that you're a public utility mean that you need to do this math differently, you know, yeah. not make it just numbers. Uh, and, and there's a, again, if you look at the history in this field, there, there are very valid arguments that, you know, public utilities specifically, you know, should be looking out for the public interest. And that public is the people that are being served and the people that are paying for it. So it's their service territory, you know, that traditionally is the public that is most important. Uh, so again, you know, I, I think there's lots of interesting conversations and the, the problems that were held back in the past, specifically in Hawaii, and people felt like you would drive cost up, you know, with this requirement. And it certainly would have been true at times in the past but as you mentioned earlier, you know, we are in the unfortunate position of winning this unemployment race and Maui Island currently has 35% unemployment. So uh, that is no longer a super relevant discussion. You know, is there a labor force available? Um, I, I think there certainly is a labor force available that could be used. And um, again, just, you know, how far do we take this? So, okay, so to, to recap here, I'm seeing that this conversation you're going to be having at Hawaii Energy Conference 2020 is it's going to be talking about this larger role historically, today, future forward, about the role that the public utility plays and how do they make decisions in, in that regard. That's, that's what I'm hearing here. That's pretty exciting. Uh, what, what are the dates and then what's the durate, what's the overall kind of speaker turnout, the agenda, what does it look like? Basically, this is going to be a three-hour event starting 9 a.m. Hawaii time, July 30th. And there is a registration process. You can get it through the website, you know, hawaiienergyconference.com. Um, but also, if you are a prior registrant, we're going to be sending around, you know, links to let you register. Again, free to register, uh, but we are requiring registration because we're going to have some interactive Q&A functionality, and we just need to have an idea on how many people, just make sure, you know, bandwidth, that basic kind of stuff. For sure. Um, but yeah, and, and again, I think I already mentioned two of the four panels, um, you know, and, and we'll release the written program next week sometime, I, I think we could say. Okay. Um, and uh, we, again, I, you know, I, I, 
if you're on the mainland or you're someone that wasn't able to afford attending the full event, we just want to give you a taste of what some of the brightest minds we can find think about what are just the most current issues. And, and I will say, you know, even though you and I normally just talk renewable energy, uh, our conference has actually gotten a little broader. You know, we've had um, sponsorship this year from uh, people that are, you know, Petroleum Engineer Society and from some of the big refining operations. So even though I, you know, come from a background more of renewable energy last 20 years or so, uh, we are always the Hawaii Energy Conference, not the Renewable Energy Conference. And as long as we're, we're still making 60% of our electricity from oil, you know, we can't be blind to that. And that's the other thing we haven't talked about yet in our conversation is the backdrop of what's happened to the price of oil. So one of the things that, that we need to just make sure is, has Futile even taking advantage of, of these prices? You know, are, are there things that are being done to help the average customer? And, and I want to make it clear that that type of a conversation is not a, quote, renewable energy conversation, but is absolutely important to the just notion of what we're trying to accomplish here as well. So, oh, wow, that's so that's interesting. So have has the utility been, for example, hedging prices with these lower lower uh, fossil fuel, lower rates for, for diesel and for oil? Is that what you mean? Like I, I get, trying to get some. I don't know about you, but I honestly was pretty confident when oil was $17 a barrel that if you bought a bunch of it, you'd, you'd look pretty smart. So, yes. you know, the, P, the PUC had set them up with a formula here where they do have a little incentive to work now on, on, on getting some savings. And I'm just hoping we're going to hear that they took advantage of some of the really uh, volatile price action in the oil market, especially yeah. in April and May. So again, I, you know, I, I just wanted to be clear that although renewable energy is, you know, for a lot of us where our hearts are, are, are going, um, it is very important to talk about oil at this moment in time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It sounds like uh, you've got a lot of great topics to cover. Really excited to be a part of this. Uh, how can people find out again? Is it a website that they go to to check out the information and sign up? Yeah, if you'll just go to hawaiienergyconference.com. And uh, if you're from the mainland, there's two eyes on Hawaii. But uh, hawaiienergyconference.com, and we'll have the information on what you need to register. And uh, again, if you were a previous attendee, you're probably going to get an email with, you know, a link that, that you can use as well. Sounds good. Well, I'm glad that we've got some, uh, some momentum here with uh, this, this taste of the Hawaii Energy Conference, as you put it. Uh, yep. And of course, I suppose next year, have you got a vision on where that's going to go next year? I would say that we are open at this point to talking about a live or a hybrid event. I think our goal right now is to have a, a live two-day event and perhaps, depending on the health situation, you know, some ability to attend virtually. And there, you know, like you're working on with some of these other conferences, getting that right is going to be tough. And frankly, I didn't feel like we could take that on and, you know, deal with the, the current programming so quickly. Uh, so how the virtual part will work? I, I don't know yet, um, but that is definitely part of our thinking is we, we may no longer be a black or white thing of attend in person or not and, you know, or attend virtually only. So we're trying to figure out how it's valuable for everybody. I mean, on the expo side, I think it's pretty clear how you can make that valuable, but on the program side, still trying to understand like you know you know this when you sit all day in front of a screen it's a different way of communicating it's a, so again I, I we need to figure this out we will figure it out by the end of the year but uh, right now i don't know if it is hybrid or, or live. gotcha gotcha well i think by the time uh you're scheduling 2021 there should be a good amount of precedence at these different shows and you'll have a lot to explore and then Kind yeah. of June, the ones that you like, you know, and of course, SPI, uh, Solar Power National North American Smart Energy Week just announced a move from Anaheim to Vegas. 
you know, high right. ratio. I think they've got the kind of uh, resources to take a really solid shot at it. That'll be interesting to see. And there's a bunch of other ones too. And of course, we're, uh, we're always here to support uh, the Hawaii Energy Conference uh, if you need anything from the solar coaster and, and what we're experiencing out there in that world. There is some neat stuff, by the way. I want to, you know, get a cup of coffee with you when we can and tell you, share with you some of those things that we're experiencing. Some, some really fun things and, and, and effective and, and I believe uh, very uh, consequential. So um, yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, always appreciate hearing the, your, your ideas. Uh, is there any last words here uh, before we wrap? No, other than I actually am interested in getting some of your thoughts as well on, you know, how we do this and how you handle things like, you know, we used to do press passes. And so what does that mean? You know, so anyway, there are a lot of things I'd like to talk to you about, uh, you know, offline some point in the future. But yeah, have a great day. And, and I'm sorry about the uh, informal uh, setting for me, but uh, nice to talk to you guys live and aloha. Yeah. Aloha. Thanks so much. Uh, take it easy. Talk to you soon. That was uh, Doug McLeod, the uh, chair of the Hawaii Energy Conference. And uh, you can check out that uh, live stream version of the conference, which is going to be held on July 30th, uh, upcoming in a few weeks here. That's hawaiienergyconference.com. You can register and be a part of it. Uh, that's a nice opportunity. And I'll tell you what, I do apologize for uh, probably a time zone mix-up with uh, Osiako and Dan Fletcher on the DC Bell product. I'm sure we'll get that uh, recorded in the next week and air it in a subsequent uh, episode of the Solar Coaster. So we got a little bit of time on our hands to do, uh, I don't know if we're going to do a future focus, but we're going to do a news article, fellas. What You want to talk about the, uh, the aging of solar panels in light of all these uh, big utility scale systems going in. Jay, what's the story? Uh, it's it's an interesting one, and where you, at techexplore.com has is running an article: newest newer solar equipment ages better than older units. And of course, we, we know that we've been getting better at building these things, but there's actually some really quantifiable reasons for it. Um, and actually, it, a lot of it comes down to monitoring, which I I did not expect. We all know that that panels will degrade over time. Uh, most manufacturers have it in their warranty somewhere that. The you lose like a half a percent every year over 25 years and it scales down. Um, but uh, a lot of this research has shown that a lot of the, the losses actually come from the inverters or the cabling or the tracking systems, like all these other things that go into uh, a, a photovoltaic system and, and more specifically the big utility scale ones. Um, but we, we don't know about it until it's too late. Like if you don't ever pay attention to your solar system and all of a sudden you said you get a big electric bill. It's like, why do I get a big electric bill? Well, I have a solar system. Well, it's, it actually hasn't been working all month and you just didn't know it. So monitoring pay, plays a huge, huge role. Uh, with all these systems going in, I, I hear it over and over. These We talk about these open houses and virtual open houses and things that I hear it a lot. Well, why don't we wait until the technology is better? Um, guys, you know, honestly, the technology is pretty good at this point, and the monitoring that we have uh, is, is leaps and bounds better. So it's showing us real time where we have problems. You can even get down to like the, the module level or the cell level and say, hey, this one is underperforming. We should replace that particular panel or that particular piece of cable or that particular inverter uh, right away and keep the system functioning at a good level. Realistically, it saves you money, even, even on the residential side. Um, it'll, it'll always pay for itself, guaranteed. Yeah, there's not it's much just, of can a... You, can you make it... There's not much There's of no a argument. case really for waiting, uh, from from my viewpoint here. And modules, you know, they just they're really a commodity. Of course, there are certain little innovation steps mm -hmm. here or there, but they do what they're supposed to do, uh, for sure. There's a lot of confidence in modules. These, you know, at this stage of the game, when you look at the rest of the system components, the inverter, they have a list here: inverter, the tracking system, the fuses, the wiring. All of these systems are are kind of being deployed at a rate uh, that they're that the installers are becoming more familiar with this. They understand how they're supposed to work together, and they're getting more sophisticated. And and so they're, they're working better over the long term. So what this article is saying is that the more recent systems are more reliable and, and aging better than the earlier systems, which would make sense, which you'd yeah. expect, right? Uh, so we should feel confident in deploying them, I think, is the takeaway on this. Some of the things that are kind of really cool, though, that could really even see a bump with new systems are these new, really different technologies. And I'll give you, just as I look at this here, I see tracking system, right? Of course, we're going to talk about tracking. Mm. But we uh, sat in on, a, uh, on a, um, an 
interview with uh, Dan Sugar, who's going to be on the show soon as well, CEO of Next Tracker, and they have something called True Capture Tracking Technology. Now, this is a fundamentally different thing from you know the way systems were deployed in the past. We're talking about not just tracking. Now, tracking means you have an art, you know, an arm that moves the array, so the angle of incidence, and it follows the sun, so the the angle is always optimal, and you get the best best amount of energy. But there are other considerations. If there's cloud cover, what's the relationship to the surrounding terrain, the other trackers themselves. And this new technology, True Capture, is like, a, I don't know, I want to throw the word AI into this because I think they did, but I'm not sure that it's actually AI. But it's like, it's some type of learning system that allows it to optimize over time. So you have these really sophisticated systems going in that are going to, you know, are going to be able to provide better energy production over the long term, regardless of the limitations of modules. What do you get? What do you think, Brian? Well, you know, I, the article is interesting because it, it made a distinction between low frequency data generation versus high frequency data. And the low frequency data, it tends to be publicly available. And that is then conducive to uh, more analysis and research and large sampling and then benchmarking. Mm. And, and as opposed to high frequency data, that is more proprietary. I thought that was an interesting dynamic because then you can benchmark if you're like a big operator, you can benchmark over different installations and different vendors and such. I thought, I thought that was a pretty distinct uh, uh, value. To be able to access that information publicly and then to know how these systems are performing over time. So then you have a sense of where yours should perform at minimum to be able to like right. benchmark. And, yeah. Yep. And then, and then open it up to, to third-party researchers. So, uh, mm. um, yeah. So, anyways, I thought that, I, and I, as a layperson, I didn't know that, I, I, I didn't know that that was a distinction between low frequency and high frequency data. Um, oh, exactly what I was saying. I mean, your your electric bill is low frequency. <laughs> yeah, and also also uh, more inputs, but it, the value too is to is to measure everything versus just a panel at a time or so. You know, I have a fellow that does this, that's in the monitoring business, uh, Zoltan uh, Malaski. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but he's here, uh, monitoring, and, you know, he's based here in Maui. And uh, he does this, and there's definitely a kind of robust need for his uh, service at this stage of the game. You know, he's he's not only is he doing um, that the the monitoring for existing fleets, but he's finding ways to integrate them to, to take a look at that data in different ways and use it in different ways too. So I'm going to sit down and, and I'll share this article with him, get his take on it, see what he thinks this uh, this means for the future of renewables. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I, I certainly am glad to know that uh, the newer systems are working better over the long term than those initial ones that were put in. I'm talking about 411 utility scale systems from 2007 to 2016 that NREL had good eyes on. So we are moving in the right direction, folks. Well, this has been the solar coaster, ups and downs, uh, as usual in the renewable energy industry. We keep track of that for you all. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Brian, you want to say aloha to everybody? Aloha. And uh, Zoltan was on a few episodes ago, if anybody wants to go listen to that. All right. And thank you, uh, Jason. Be safe out there uh, in Asia. And then we uh, look forward to our next episode. This solar coaster is sponsored by Sundrum Solar, uh, Perfectly Clear Glass and Shield, Maui Office of Economic Development for Kamaina First Program, as well as uh, Fairwinds Wealth Management with Brian Thomas right here on the line. Let's not forget about Solar Edge and all a bunch of other great companies that have been a part of the uh, solar coaster over the years. So have a wonderful weekend, folks, and Aloha Friday.